Welcome to the Educator State of Mind podcast, the best daily resource for educators to thrive at work and flourish in life. I'm your host, Jake Ruzzi. Every day, we'll explore tips, tricks, tools, practices, and stories to help you achieve and maintain a healthy life-work balance while working in education. Let's get to it. And so you're asking me what what gave me the impetus to change that. I was exhausted by the end of the day. I wasn't feeling good about myself. And again, the kids didn't want to look me in the eye. So who wants to work in an environment like that? They weren't happy. I wasn't happy. All right. Hello. Thank you for tuning in today. We have a very special guest, Miss Donna Fields from Scaffolding Magic. And Donna, I am super excited. We've been kind of chatting back and forth for a little while. We're finally getting to chat on the podcast here. And so welcome. Thank you so much for making time today. Oh my goodness. It's so, it's so nice to be here, Jake. Uh, yeah, we have been exchanging messages for a while now. And what I like most is that we're both educators and you have your heart in your job and in this whole profession. And that's very attractive to me. And um, I mean that on a soul level. So I'm really excited to be here. Well, well, thank you. I really appreciate that. I feel the same about you, which is why I wanted to bring you on today. I think you have a lot of really good stuff to offer. Um, starting off, like when we're referring to scaffolding magic, like what are you talking about for teachers? Wow. Okay. Let's start right off the bat. So scaffolding, scaffolding makes some people just go blind, just that term. Um, I'm not crazy about the term, but it means a structure. It means giving students a sort of a framework support when they're moving into new material. And then you take away that support once they feel really confident about the new material. Maybe it's vocabulary or a concept or something that's new for them. I'm not crazy because it doesn't click for me. For some people it does. So what I say is giving a helping hand. You're creating an activity that's helping them move into a new, new knowledge, new information fluidly. When I create scaffolds, I write the instructions, I create the materials, I put it all on the desk, and I let the students figure out as much as they possibly can, because that includes agency in the activity. So not only am I including something that's going to help them move into new knowledge, I am helping them become responsible become more collaborative, use their critical thinking to figure out the activity. And if they really don't understand something, I also give them the opportunity to speak to their classmates who some of them are going to figure it out, some of them not. So it's a con it's conceptual more than something physical. How does that sound? That sounds great. I love the collaborative nature of kind of what what you're talking about and inviting collaboration for those students who get it really well, making them leaders in the classroom to help out students who maybe don't get it as as easily as as them. And I I think too, you know, one of my focuses is helping educators and teachers save time and energy so that we can be in this for the long haul. And I think if you're really like serious about creating some agency within your students, that's going to save you a ton of time. And I think that, you know, while you said that teachers to some degree shouldn't be set spending as much time talking, I think what you're talking about creates the opportunity that you don't have to spend as much time talking. 
we already know the material. We already understand it. So why are we talking about it? What we need to do is give them the opportunity to process it. And a lot of times that means verbally. A lot of students need to verbalize things. Others need to touch things. Other needs to write. Some students just have to stand up to process it. But in, if the teacher is talking, you get in sort of a trance and there's a lot of passive learning going on. And I don't even think it's passive learning. I think it's just sort of passive because the students will zone out. In a matter of 10 seconds, our minds are just wired so that we zone out if we don't connect with what the person is saying and if they're saying too much. I mean, do you like, there are people who learn by listening and I'm amazed by them. Not many, but there are. Are you one of them, Jake? I have a hard time listening um, if I'm just sitting still. What I really like to do, so I have a hard time sitting down and reading. So I am an audiobook person uh -huh. through and through. Yeah. It, what I've found is the time that I can absorb the knowledge the best is when I'm like engaged in, in doing something else with my body. So for example, like I love taking my dog on a walk and then listening to an audiobook right. while I'm on the walk. And my right. dog loves it too. So it's a win-win. Or if I'm like doing the dishes or something, I'll put on something that I can listen to. And that way my like body is busy with kind of like a mindless task and my brain can really just focus in on that. But if I just like sit down and just try to listen to something, whether it be like I'm in a classroom or I'm in a meeting or I'm at a conference or something like that, I have a really hard time just sitting there and listening. And I'm not really someone who like doodles a whole lot. So I have a hard time figuring out what, what would be... Um, your advice for, for kind of how you can bring that into the classroom and get people to not just sit and listen. Well, it's exactly these activities. And the most important thing that what you're saying is that you've become self-aware. You know how you need to learn. And what we need to do as educators, and we are not trained in doing this, so it's it's challenging at first. What we need to do is respect that our students have different learning styles. It is not come it is not complementary to most curriculums in other words the curriculum wants the teacher to present information wants the students to do it hand it back and take the exam and, and go and move on that is not really conducive to learning for most of the students you need to be moving most i mean we are humans we need to biologically move our bodies to um the most of the studies say that Whatever our age is, we need to at least stand up for double that amount. So, for instance, if we have a 10-year-old, a 10-year-old can only sit for 20 minutes at a time. An 11-year-old, you know, 22 minutes, et cetera, et cetera. This is really important in preschool. I, I go into a lot of preschool classes, and the students are, they're made to sit for maybe 30 minutes at a time, which is biologically unhealthy and impossible. <laughs> so that's why the teacher gets all upset because they're moving around. That's what their bodies do needs to do. When you say you like to walk and listen, it's because the blood is moving through your body and the brain needs the blood to be moving around to process the information. So what do we need to do in the classroom? Let our students move around. And I know that it's not easy because when I first became a teacher, I couldn't do it. I needed the students to be seated because I was nervous and I needed them to be still, be quiet and listen. And little by little, I got used to more noise. And little by little, I got used to more movement. But I was willing to do that. And if we can all be willing to get out of our comfort zone as human beings, as teachers, 
then we're going to help our students learn more effectively. Yeah, I like the honesty you're bringing too. of like when you first started teaching, this was really difficult. It was a, you know, not something you could do. What do you think allowed you to take the steps towards like building your capacity to increasing movement and student agency? I think it was mostly I went home and realized I was not happy with the looks my students gave me. They weren't happy. Um, they were listening to what I told them to do because I was bigger and louder than they were. But that doesn't mean that I was creating a healthy learning environment. And I wasn't. And I'll go back just a little bit. When I walked into the classroom, I had not had very good training. And so my classroom management, which is 50% of a teacher's effectiveness, you know, we can't deceive ourselves here. My classroom management was screaming. Why? Because my mother screamed at us, at my, my brothers and I. So I learned that to control people, you scream. That is just such an unhealthy environment. And so you're asking me what, what gave me the impetus to change that? I was exhausted by the end of the day. I wasn't feeling good about myself. And again, the kids didn't want to look me in the eye. So who wants to work in an environment like that? They weren't happy. I wasn't happy. I started, um, I didn't have a success at that point in asking other teachers to help me because they were so experienced. They didn't know how to go back and destructure what they had learned. So I went to books and I just found tons of books and tried different tips and some worked and some didn't. And eventually I became more confident and assimilated a lot of these techniques. And by, I'm not in the classroom anymore, Jake, but by the time I left the classroom, all I had to do was stand in front of them and they quieted down. But that was, you know, 15 years down the line. Yeah, that's, that's a lot of practice and yeah. a lot of years of students coming in and creating a ruckus. Yeah. Yeah. But it's mostly confidence. I mean, you probably know this. If we go, our students get us. They can read us within about 10 or 15 seconds of walking in the room. So if we're nervous, they know that. And you know kids, they will take use that to their advantage. So again, it's not the easiest thing to do, but we need to find some way to gain confidence. And at first you may need to pretend it a little bit. And once you get that confidence, the students sense it. And you'll have more willingness on their part to forgive you for any of the other million mistakes we make in the classroom. I think about quite often that there's, um, there's two people who know me better than myself, and that is my wife and my students. And my students mostly know my weaknesses better than I know myself, and they know how to poke and prod at them and just like expose them to the world, whether or not I want them to. Yeah. And that is really, really difficult. And I think, you know, part of what, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a counselor, whether you're an administrator, no matter what, like those kids are going to find what you're really bad at, what you're really insecure at, and they're just going to just twist it and just get in there and really put you through the ringer with that. So building that confidence that you're talking about is, is really, really hard work, but so important. Like, what would you offer to, uh, as advice to somebody who's just coming into the profession, just starting out as a teacher or just starting out as a counselor, whatever they're doing, like to start building that confidence from day one, knowing that they are the professional, they have the skills, they just need to be sure of it themselves. Yeah. I don't know if I could tell someone how to be confident other than saying, 
self-awareness is very important. Um, being transparent to the students is also very important. I think the transparency is one of our sort of superpowers because if we say to the students, you need to really think about how you're going to do this. And the first day you don't go in and say, listen, I don't know what I'm doing and I'm really scared. I, you know, you'll have chaos in, in seconds. What age group do you teach, Jake? I work with high schoolers. Okay. I had a feeling. I am a primary teacher, secondary teacher, and worked at university. Secondary is my favorite. And if you will then let me address that, it's easier for me. And primary is a little more difficult because those kids really need a little, a little bit of parenting as well as educating. In high school, by the time I got to high school, I was a little more experienced. And they just are funny. They are so intense. They are so dramatic. And everything is wrong. You know, they love getting into dramas and arguing with us. So at that point, I looked at them and I realized, you know, this is, I just can't take this so seriously. They are doing such a good job at being who they are. All I have to do is say, you're doing a really good job. You can say anything you want to me as long as you're respectful, as long as you follow the rules, because We've created these rules to create a respectful environment. And then it gets easier. I just kind of, with high school students especially, I have a smile on my face most of the time just because they do high school so well. And my job is to be a limit for them, to be a wall for them, a soft wall, so that they know that they can push and push and push as long as they're being respectful and I am someone who can say, you know what? I see you. I see that you're frustrated right now. And let's figure out how to like, move out of this drama and into something more productive. So I guess what uh, your, your question is, what I would answer is, keep a sense of humor. <laughs> yeah, a sense of humor is essential. And that's why I think scrolling through social media, the best like funny pages that I've ever found are all teacher related because you've got to, you got to have a good sense of humor. Yeah. Yeah. You know this, but how do you do it? I mean, how, what is your relationship like with your students? Oh man. Well, that, so that for me has been kind of a long journey as far as like figuring out how I want that relationship to go. And when I first started working in, in schools, I was, I was 22. And so I was like pretty unexperienced, still thought I was a high schooler myself. And that was like kind of a nightmare for me when I first started in education, because I was kind of teetering on the line of, I'm not sure if I'm a professional. I'm not sure if I'm a friend. I'm not sure if I'm somewhere in between. And my relationships with the kids were kind of always like, they didn't really know what to make of me. Like it was luckily I have pretty thick skin and a good sense of humor. So it was mostly like them making fun of me and just me making a fool of myself. And that was super fun for my role as like a teacher's assistant and just kind of, you know, not really having any real authority uh, in from my point of view and not really like having to hold anybody accountable for what they were doing and more so just being there as a support. As I like started progressing in my career and kind of going into like I for a little while I was on a crisis intervention team and so I would I would be the person that you called in when everything had just hit the fan and so 
I worked at a school for students with social and emotional disabilities. And if somebody called me, it was because a student was so dysregulated. So that for me was where I really had to figure out how to utilize a relationship with my students to the highest degree possible, because the only thing that was going to get them to listen to me or to trust me was that relationship. Like no matter what I said, no matter how well I could talk or how, what I could offer them, like they weren't hearing it. They were totally dysregulated. Their lid was flipped, whatever you want to call it. And so the only thing that I could leverage was my relationship with this kid to bring them back to baseline and get them into a place where they could learn again. And that was really, really difficult. It was really taxing to try to figure that out, but it was kind of trial by fire for me. Um, I think like what I kind of came out of that with was just being genuine. Like if a kid was like, if they needed something that I couldn't give them, just being honest and just sitting there with them, you know, like, Hey, like, I don't know what you need. And even if I did, I don't think I could give it to you. Like, but I'll just sit here and we'll just hang out for a little while. And sometimes it would work. Sometimes it wouldn't. And I think just being my most genuine self and not really like trying to put on a face or trying to be the professional or trying to be the one who has the solutions to things is really where I found my ability to connect with kids of just kind of being like, I'm just kind of fumbling around with this as much as you are. So let's fumble around with it together. Yeah. And I don't know if you ever heard of the polyvagal theory. It sounds like you were doing it, even if you hadn't, you don't know it well, but does that sound familiar to you? Yeah. I'm familiar with the concept. Okay. Yeah. Because it's exactly what you're saying when it's biologically, the student has lost control and they need to find a way back. And so you honing in on them is exactly what they needed. I mean, I've seen time and again is when a student is really alienated from themselves, from their families, from their friends, they need someone to look them in the eye and remember something personal about them, an artist they like, a singer, um, you know, a sport that they like, something that reminds them that there's someone on the planet who is focused on them, even just for five or 10 minutes. And that can often save them and bring them the whole body, the biology, the biology back down. So I really love that you did that. It's instinctual and it worked. And I think these days, uh, as I'm kind of now thinking about it and processing it, one thing I've, I've been doing recently, um, just with now my role in schools as kind of a, a case manager slash admin slash counselor slash all kinds of things in my role I, I get a lot of opportunity to just observe the students um, in kind of their natural environment, if, if we want to call it that. And one thing I've, I've been taking notice to is the differences that I'm seeing in the way that they interact with others compared to how they interact with me. And then I take that information that I observe and I try to really critically think about like, okay, everybody treats everybody differently. Like that's just kind of how we do it. Like the way that I talk to my wife is different than how I talk to my friends compared to how I talk to my mom compared to how I talk to random strangers on the street. So, you know, they're, of course they're going to treat me different, but is their affect and the way that they're treating me like their most genuine self, or are they not too sure how to interact with me because they don't know what I'm about and they, they're not sure if they can trust me. And so that's kind of what I've, I've been leaning into these days of just really trying to see like, is the way that they approach me their most genuine self? Because if it's not, 
then I need to make an effort to create that space and create that relationship between the two of us that they can approach me in their most genuine self. And now to be clear, I don't think that 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 means that they have to think I'm their trusted adult and I'm their go-to person. But as a, as a staff member who's working in their school community, like I want to make sure that if they needed to, they wouldn't have to hesitate to come to me or to talk to me about something. And now in my role, like I'm not necessarily the go-to um, for them on the day-to-day, but like the way that they approach me, even just in passing in the hallway, is something that I really try to pay attention to. And, you know, Jake, your newsletter show how introspective you are. And I think that's one of the really special parts of you that you have, you've had stages in your life and you really think very seriously about each of these stages and how one has led to the other. And, and now you're talking about your relationship with the students. And I'm just, you know, since you have other educators who are listening to this, I am wondering about a couple of things, uh, their genuine self. You're genuine to your wife. You're genuine to your friends, even though you speak differently. So it's still genuine you. I, when I see teachers, and you're saying you don't try, you try not to do this. When I see teachers trying to be friends with students, I feel it's very inappropriate. Um, We need to be as humanly as possible, someone that they can respect and model the, the principles, the values, and the way that we think that we should we need to move through the world. That doesn't mean that I'm authoritarian. To a certain extent, we need to be a little authoritarian. But what I'm saying is, I am not their friend, but I care about them. And in the end, I want them to understand that. It sounds like you do too. But I don't want them talking to me the way, the same way they speak to their friends. I think that's inappropriate. Some of this, some of this probably comes from the fact that I grew up on the East Coast. And, you know, we have a lot of traditional upbringing and schooling. And I'm sure, I know that I have embodied that to a large extent. I have, you know, modified it. It's a little more blurry than how I grew up. In other words, when I was growing up, there were children and there were adults. And we always thought, all of a sudden you become an adult. No, that doesn't happen. But when we are in a school, I think we need to, I think there needs to be a division. I think on some very subtle level, there needs to be a division between how our students react to their peers and how they act to us. It's only going to help them in the professional world later. And I don't need. 15 year old friends. I want to be someone that I want to have something I can offer them, but I don't need to confide in them. You know what I mean? And I don't want them to feel that they need to confide in me to make a connection. Am I making my, you getting anything that I'm saying? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's kind of going back to, um, you know, what I was talking about with my original struggles of, of how do I define this relationship with my students when I first started working in schools? And I wasn't sure, like, do I act like a friend? Like what, what, and as I progress further and further, the answer is definitely no, I'm not their friend. I need to create these clear boundaries because these boundaries are what's going to define our relationship and get them to trust me. If I have 
loosey goosey boundaries and they're not quite sure if one day I'm going to be a friend to them. And then the next day I'm going to want to hold them accountable for their behavior in the classroom. Like that's just confusing. That doesn't create trust. They're not quite sure where to stand because the way that they're going to act with their friends should be different than the way that they act with me. And in order to create that dynamic, you have to set those boundaries. You have to make it clear that there is a difference between you and I, we can be really genuine with each other and we can have a really strong bond and a really strong relationship. But in the context of school, it has to stay in the context of school. Yeah, I think that's a really good way to put it. Yep. I want them to be able, I think it, it only works if they know they can trust us. We need to be very clear about what the boundaries are of that trust. You know, you can trust me to tell you the truth. You can trust me to set appropriate limits to help you set your own appropriate limits. You can trust me, you know, we can make a whole list here. But that doesn't mean you can trust me to tell me all your secrets. You know, I'll help you find a friend to do that. Um, and that helps. I mean, kids need boundaries at all ages, and especially at high school. They need boundaries. You probably know what I'm going to know, are, are very familiar with what I'm about to say. I know the kids that have boundaries at home and the kids that don't. It's so clear in the classroom. And the children that have clear boundaries at home, have responsibilities, have chores even, they are more responsible and attentive in the classroom. And I, they, we all need boundaries, for goodness sake, at every age. They, they change, but we need them. And sometimes Absolutely. they're self-inflicted. <laughs> you know, what would you um, say to somebody who's like struggling to figure out where to place these boundaries, especially, you know, in the context of being a teacher? Uh, what would you say is probably your most uh, important boundary that you set in the classroom? Wow, 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 wow. I mean, I love the direction we've gone because I have not had this conversation, I don't know, with anyone or in a very long time. Um, I, again, I think this is an East Coast training, but I am very aware of how they speak to me. I think that it needs to, you know, I, you know, I live in Spain and in, in most European languages, there's a, um, familiar conjugation and there's a more formal conjugation. We don't have that in English. So in English, what we need to depend on are the, is the tone of voice and some of the words. And so I guess for me, I get a lot of information from the tone of voice and I insist on them focusing on it, I guess. I've not been in the classroom in a long time, but I do remember that that was very important to me. And I was the same. It's not like I would, I told you that when I first went in, I would scream at the kids. Well, that's not appropriate. After a few years, I realized that my tone was just as important as what I was insisting on hearing from them. So I learned to speak respectfully. And if I raised my voice, you know, that's my mistake and I have to be a little patient with them for a while. So everyone has, we all have our own needs. Some people in a classroom need less movement. Some people need less noise. I need less noise. I mean, I am very sensitive to noise. Some people need a lot of color. We all have to, the answer to your question, I think, I'm getting to it, is that we need to decide what our non-negotiables are 
and just focus on that instead of trying to make a whole myriad of lists of things that we have to have from our students, drives them crazy, drives us crazy, get a list of maybe three non-negotiables. So for me, mine is, I am not good if people scream, ironically, because I started screaming, but maybe that's why. Um, I'm not good with disrespectful language or tone. So let's say that's two. So those are my three. And then the rest I can adjust to. I like that. You got you to gotta pick and choose your battles to some degree, right? And yeah. I know like all around the country, all around the world right now, a lot of people working in schools are really struggling with language and tone from students. And so this is a super important thing to set. Um, yeah. What kind of success did you have with, um, with like getting that respectful tone from your students? I got that respectful tone because, and I'll tell you probably why, I became a master at creating norms and consequences in the classroom, co-creating them, co-creating them. So I would have a very firm idea of what I needed. And again, some things were non-negotiable. But when I went into the classroom, I didn't say, this is non-negotiable. I said to them, we're going to co-create some norms and consequences. Here are some ideas. What would you add or take away? And we would have a conversation about it. And just the fact that I was including them in the norms of consequences of their own learning environment built a structure of respect. And when you give them that message, no matter how old they are, you can start at preschool, but especially in high school. If you create the atmosphere of mutual respect, of co-creation, of a collaborative learning environment, automatically you're going to get more respectful tones because the students feel seen and heard. And it's not going to be 100%, but it really does work. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I love just the themes you've brought out of just that co-collaboration, that co-creation, just creating... Um, opportunities for student agency and giving students opportunities to be leaders as well in, in the classroom and in their own education. And so as we're closing down now, we are running out of time, but I feel like I could chat with you for hours and hours. Yeah. Um, where can people follow along with you? I know you have a lot of really good stuff to offer um, the teachers of today. Oh, thanks so much for asking. It's very easy. You can go to my webpage. It's called scaffoldingmagic.com. And I have a lot of scaffolding activities there. I'm also about to, in about three weeks, I'm about to publish an online course on how to create a healthy learning environment. So I am so excited about this because so many tools and resources that I'm offering to teachers. So we'll talk about that later. Okay, that is fantastic. I will be sure to include all of that in the show notes. And if by the time this episode releases that is all ready to go i will add in the information for your course as oh, well thank you so much that would be great yeah yeah <laughs> well thank you so much for taking the time donna i really appreciate you being here and i look forward to chatting again i would love it jake thank you so much this has been so much fun thank you for listening to the educator state of mind podcast if you enjoyed today's episode don't forget to follow rate and leave a review your feedback is extremely valuable because together we can make the show the best daily resource for educators and did you know that you can get involved with the show if you'd like to learn more about being a part of the podcast 
head over to jakeruzy.com forward slash podcast for more information. I accept submissions for episode ideas, sound clips to include in the show, and invitations for interviews. If you have something important to say, let's get it on the show. Thanks again, and have a spectacular day.